Blog Talk Radio. Writers Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedHeadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called a total blast of a show for writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writers Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to at the Funky Writer. After his mom disappears, Jason Lex and his family move to a small town where he has no friends, no fun, no life. Things get worse when he's chased by weird flying creatures that only he can see. Jason thinks he's losing it, but... When Jason discovers new information about his family, he's stunned to learn that creatures like Skyfish, Kappa, and the Mongolian Death Worm aren't just stories on the Internet. They're real, and they live unseen alongside the human race. This is part of the blurb of the exciting debut novel of today's guest, Wendy Terrian. Welcome, Wendy Terrian, to the Funky Writer Show. Thanks, Robert. It's great to be here. Oh, it's so great having you, Wendy. I'm so excited. So much excitement has been generated for your debut novel. Please let our audience know all about it. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's been, you know, it's not even out yet, but we've gotten some professional reviews done, and they've come back uh, really positive. So five stars from Forward, and then I was, like, over the universe excited when I found out that Kirkus Reviews gave it a starred review. So big, big news, big excitement. I think I'm still giddy from it. Great, great. So why don't you just give us a little snippet? I know it's not out yet, but a little little snippet on its plot and storyline. Okay, well, I think I should have you read the back cover for everybody and keep that recorded so I can play it for people. You did such a nice job with that blurb, (laughs) so it's very, very exciting. Um, But yeah, the he it's about Jason, and you know, I, I. he finds out that these creatures, like the ones you mentioned, are real and that they live among us. And uh, he's gone from being a, a normal kid who plays basketball and likes chess and is excited for his next year in school to living in a town he doesn't really like and finding out things that are out there that no one else can see. And really his whole life gets in turmoil and he gets pulled into the fight to try and save this shield 
that protects the human race from these energy that these creatures emit. And uh, he has some big, tough decisions to make in it. Now, this book is billed as Chronicle One in the Adventures of Jason Lex, part one of a series. So how deep will you go into this urban fantasy series, and do you already have the seeds germinating for the second installment? I do. Second and third installments are already in the works. Uh, we're actually going to do a book two about that's going to still follow Jason on his path. And then Sadie is a character introduced in this book that becomes Jason's best friend, and I love her so much. Book two takes Jason in a different direction. I don't want to lose track of Sadie, so I'm giving her her own book as well as part of the series. So that will be coming uh, out as pretty closely with book two. They're going to come pretty hand-in-hand hand almost. So we know that it's going to be part of a series, but as you said, you're going to also have a spin-off. So it looks like each book in the series will be able to stand on its own. Is that correct? Yes, I hope so. And that's definitely what I'm working towards, making sure we have that uh, so a new reader can come in at any time. Let's talk about the prestigious review that KirkusReviews.com gave the Rampart Guards and the delightful honor of Kirkus selecting it as an indie book of the month for April. Wow, what a coup for you. How did this wonderful thing come about? You know, it's one of those interesting challenges as an author, especially as an indie published author, that paying for these reviews and not knowing what you're going to get back from them. And uh, you're kind of going out there taking a gamble. With Kirkus, it's especially um, more of a gamble, I think, because their reputation is that they don't, you know, they're a tough review house. They don't give good reviews often. So, you know, I was just hoping for a good review and that I could have enough out of that review that I could use as an excerpt on my books that they liked it enough for that. And when uh, I went ahead and submitted it, and then when I saw that come back and, hit the publish like approval button to say, yeah, yeah, I'm willing to share this with the world and thought it was a starred review. Uh, that just, it blew my mind. And then just, it was just this last week that I got a, a follow-up email um, that said, hey, our editors have decided to pick you as an indie book of the month for April. And they did that all on their own. I really had no influence. So they, they made that decision there too. So I didn't have to submit anything. But yeah, that was so exciting. Just so exciting. Wow, isn't that awesome? So, Wendy, legend has it that this fascinating story was inspired by an episode of the TV show Bones. Please enlighten us on how you got this inspiration from this television story and how long did the process take you to come up with your own original concept? The, yeah, I was watching television, so I'm encouraging everyone out there to watch TV because great things can happen from it. You don't have to listen to people that say it rots your brain. Here's a good example of where it didn't. So uh, I was watching the episode. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and the episode had a, a death that looked like it had been committed by a chupacabra, and I didn't know what that was. I, I said, what are they can talking about? Can you tell about? us what that is? <laughs> it is. It's, it's a creature from Mexican folklore that drinks the blood of goats. So okay. that's how it lives. So this person had, it looked like uh, a chupacabra had killed them instead of a goat, but all the other markings looked the same. So that was my first question was, what is a chupacabra? Because I hadn't heard of them. And then they talked about needing to consult a cryptozoologist, which was the next thing that I had no idea what they were talking about. So that sent me to the Google. I started doing all the research because I had to know what that was. And 
basically a uh, Cryptozoologist studies creatures that may or may not exist, like the chupacabra or also Bigfoot, Loch Ness. You know, these are the ones that we know right, about in right. our, our world. And then I discovered that there were hundreds more out there on the Internet, that there's lists and lists of them, and websites, and people with documents and pictures and videos of different creatures that they believe exist. And I thought, well... That's really interesting. There, there's so many that we've never heard of, and some 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 people have heard a few of them. Like I think the Dover Demon has some kind of legend, kind of history with some folks and things like that, but certainly not to the scale that a Bigfoot or Loch Ness does. And I started looking at all these creatures, and I was so fascinated by them. And then I studied it more and found out that a lot of uh, creatures used to be legends, like the giant squid. There used to be tales from sailors saying these creatures had attacked their, that are as big as buses and had attacked their ships and we find out the giant squid is real. Uh, there used to be tales of the fearsome furry men that lived high up in the mountains and we found out later that those are the um, mountain gorillas. So these there are things that used to be a legend that are now proven to exist. So what if, right? There could be more out there. And then after I started thinking about the what if stuff, it just germinated into this story about well, what if? How how would that work? How come we have um, some pictures of Bigfoot that then, but they're blurry? So then I thought, well, maybe there's this shield, and it just germinated from that. The story idea came really quickly after that. Wow! So you just took the ball and literally ran with it. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's I did. Yeah. So yeah. So Wendy, you know, some authors or a lot of authors know this, but many do not know about the tedious process of research. Now, you had just said that you did some research or maybe a lot of research for your your book. Um, Talk us through that process of how much research did you have to do. So I started with the the creatures that I had lists and lists of them that I found on the Internet. And then I went into individual ones. I looked at kind of their basic stories. And then I the ones that intrigued me, I did a little m- bit more research on those and dove into more of those sites that were specific to things like Skyfisher, one of them that play a big role in the book. I've really learned as much as I could about what people believed about Skyfish. And I, I used the Internet. I went to um, – Lauren Coleman is an expert cryptozoologist out there in the world. I looked at his work. I looked at books that he'd written and others had written and – really dove deep into all of that stuff. And then that led to other research, too, because, you know, there's a lot about the electricity and the energy that right. they admit. And I needed to understand how that really works, too, if if it does. And I knew that there was the electric eel, so I started researching those and how did their systems work and then learned they weren't really eels at all. They're actually a member of the knife fish family. So it just, it just kept going and going and going. And it was great because it, I feel like it's a much more comprehensive picture of what it could be as opposed to me just making stuff up out of the air. I still wanted it to feel really rooted in the real world. I didn't want to just have this complete fantasy uh, system. I wanted it to really feel like it could be here. That is so amazing. Let's talk about something I think is amazing, an anthology you're part of called TikTok, Seven Tales of Time. How did this anthology come together? And talk about your involvement in it. I'd love to. So the this the whole writing journey has been so fantastic and I encourage anyone out there to, to network and get to know people and go to conferences and find out who has the this creative mind like you do because there's some fantastic people and I I'll also put a shout out to Colorado because there's a great 
strong riders community here, and I've right. met some really fantastic people. And it's out of that and these support groups and these supportive, loving people around me that I've made some close relationships. And there's a group of us, there's seven authors, and we do a retreat, a writing retreat on our own every year. And this last year we went up to Breckenridge, and while we were there, and we'd had a little bit of wine, but not too much because we still don't think we're crazy <laughs> about doing this. So <laughs> um, we decided it would be an interesting and fun project to do an anthology together. We all write similar kinds of stories in the fantasy or science fiction area, and we wanted to pull our creative juices and put them together, and we decided to do this anthology. So we came up with a theme, and we started trying to figure it out. And It's been a great journey because we've all learned so much because we really didn't know a lot about what it would take to put out an anthology. We've right. also learned how to work with seven cooks in the kitchen instead of you know just one. It's a lot more challenging, but we've learned how to delegate, and we figured out the process. And I'm really excited. The, the stories in it are fun and different and interesting and so, yeah, it's coming out in March. So really looking forward to that. Seven Cooks in the Kitchen. Oh, I bet that yeah. was fun. So, you know, the cover of this anthology is aesthetically outstanding, purely inspired. Who designed it? And talk about how this person came to be involved. Stephen Novak is the color design, or cover designer from Novak Illustration. He's awesome. I can say that also because he did the Rampart Guards cover. So that's okay. really where I got to know him is when I was doing research about who I wanted to do the design for my cover. Uh, he was the person I chose, and then I asked him to do TikTok. So we went through a few iterations. That cover, cover was one of my projects. We divided things out on our anthology, so there was only two to three people that worked on each piece rather than the seven cooks. That's how we decided to narrow that down. And then cover was part of what I worked on with him. And we went back and forth on some designs, and we had some thoughts ahead of time, some images and things we liked and had seen that we shared with him. And then he came back. Things weren't quite, they were good, but we, they weren't popping as much as we wanted it to and then he right. sent that one back and I, I immediately went oh yeah I love it and then forwarded it to the two on the committee and they were like yes we love it and then sent it all out and all seven of us just were immediately on board with that one I love that cover oh yeah oh yeah that that is it definitely so your piece is obviously shorter and more condensed in there than mm -hmm. your upcoming novel. Talk about the differences in writing a short story and how you basically have to make things happen a lot quicker, yet still provide a satisfying payoff for the reader. Yeah, it's hard. I, I, I discovered that that's really hard. I almost would rather write a novel. You'd think it would be easier because you just go, hey, here's a story, and there you're done. But <laughs> it's a lot harder because I wanted to take these characters deeper, to take the story wider, uh, to do a lot more with the different, you know, the antagonists and some other parts of it, and I just couldn't do it. So I, I did a lot of editing and cutting, and uh, it, it was it was. It was a true challenge for me to do that because I, I have a bigger story in my head and to get it down to where it was condensed but not feel too rushed and still have some richness right. to it was pretty challenging. So it was a lot, too, of uh, sharing and getting feedback from my partners on that, my critique groups, and they helped me a lot with it as well. I can't, I can't stress enough how, much how important critique groups are. They're just they're the best, the most important key, I think, of getting a good story out the door. Yeah, I've written a few short stories, and one of them is three pages, and so many people said it, it oh. was one of my best works, you know, and I love the short story. But um, I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> thank you. 
Wendy, you have graciously agreed to read a part of your writings for us. Can you set up the piece before you read it? Yeah, actually, I'm just going to start with the beginning because I've kind of looked at some different parts and I didn't want to do any spoilers. So I thought I would go ahead and just read the first few pages of Chapter 1 if you think that's okay. Oh, that's great. Go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. Jason stopped at the kitchen doorway and watched Mom stare out the window, her lips moving like she was counting the snowflakes. He took a deep breath. Good morning. She didn't respond. So I'll see you and Dad at the basketball game this afternoon. Jason ducked into the mudroom. He grabbed his uniform and sniffed it. Clean enough. He stuffed it in his backpack. Dad refilled his coffee. We wouldn't miss it for the world. He smiled and blew on the steam rising from his cup. Jason could always count on Dad. Mom, not so much anymore. Right, Adrian? She didn't answer. Adrian? Mom jerked like someone had snuck up behind her. Oh, no. No, I won't be there. I need to be here. Jason huffed. Why? He snatched up an orange and shoved it in his pack. What's so important here? Will the house fall down without you or something? Dad stepped close to Mom and leaned his head toward hers. Honey, please don't miss another game. The coach is really impressed with Jason. I have to admit he's got skills. Dad winked at him. Come tonight. Show your support. No, I can't. She shuffled away from Dad. You understand, don't you, Jason? He shook his head. Sure, whatever. Jason moved toward the doorway. After weeks of her weirdness, he was over it. Wait, do you have your lunch? Mom reached for the refrigerator door. The handle zapped her and she yanked her arm back. Damn static electricity. She stuck her finger in her mouth. Jason rolled his eyes. Okay, well, I already have my lunch. He walked out of the kitchen and yelled upstairs, Della, let's go. Jason's younger sister bounded down, her blonde curls springing on her shoulders. She ran toward the front door. Kind of hard to walk you to school if you don't wait for me, Jason quick-stepped to catch her. And I don't remember fourth grade being so great that I'd hurry to get there. My fourth grader is better than your fourth grade. Della put on her coat and scooted out the door, her pink and black backpack rolling behind her. After the game, Jason bolted into the house, Dad, Della, and older brother Kyle close behind. Mom, we won! Jason rushed into the living room, the kitchen, no mom. The office, no mom. The back patio, no mom. He looked at Dad. I thought she had to stay home tonight. Dad picked up a note lying on the entryway table. He read it aloud. On a walk, be back later, love mom. He crumpled it and walked into the kitchen. Jason, Della, and Kyle followed. She goes for walks, like, every day, by herself. She never used to do that. Jason wiped his neck with the towel draped over his shoulder. Dad tossed the note in his recycling bin. Yeah, why doesn't she take us on walks anymore? Della asked. Because she doesn't like us anymore. Kyle talked like he knew the answer to everything. Apparently starting high school did that to you. Kyle, that is not true. Dad turned to Della. She loves you all very much. There are just things... She's had a lot on her mind lately. Like what? Jason chugged from his water bottle. The chill iced his throat. Grown-up things, nothing for you guys to worry about. Dad took a pan out of the cupboard. Who wants tacos? They all raised their hands, but Jason didn't stop wondering about grown-up things. She didn't come home before bedtime. Jason wrestled with the sheets more than he slept. He woke to hear Dad talking downstairs. Mom must be back. Jason pulled his covers closer, buried his head under his pillow, but the talking kept him awake. He eased out of bed and opened his door, stepping into the hallway. A dull glow from the room below climbed the stairs and dissolved into black where he stood. Dad's voice rose. I'm telling you, something is wrong. No one answered. I already said she left about 7 p.m. 
stepdad was on the phone. Yes, we've lived in Colorado for 18 years. We know about the damn mountain lions. Goosebumps prickled Jason's skin. She knows how to take care of herself. She's not an idiot. Another pause. As soon as you can, please get here. Dad's voice morphed from muscle to mouse. The recliner creaked. Oh, Adrian. Jason patted down the stairs. Dad sat hunched in his chair, the throne for the king of comfort, as Mom had dubbed it. He held his head in his hands. Dad? He jolted up. What are you doing out of bed? Dad glanced at his wrist where a watch should be. I heard you talking. Where's Mom? Dad flinched. I don't know. Wait, what? How can you not know? Jason's voice scaled higher, making him sound more like his nine-year-old sister than his 13-year-old self. Keep your voice down. Dad patted the air in front of him and stood. It'll be okay. She'll be home soon. I called the police just to be safe. He put his arm around Jason's shoulders. That's who you were talking to? Jason shrugged out from under Dad's arm. We don't need them. Let's go find her right now. Jason, it's dark. It's snowing. We can't do anything right now. We've got flashlights. Kyle and Della can help, too. Jason pushed his hair back. We can't just sit here. She could be anywhere. Besides, she always comes home. Always. Effing stupid, but whatever. Jason fell on the couch, facing the picture window in the woods beyond. Then I'm waiting for her right here. He crossed his arms and squinted, trying to x-ray the darkness and spot his mom. Do not say effing anything and go back to bed. It's a school night. Almost day. No, can't sleep. He tucked his fingertips in his armpits and stared at the night. Dad breathed deep and blew it out. Okay, fine. He sat next to Jason. Jason started counting backward from 100 in his head. She'd be home before he got to zero. Three, two, one. No, Mom. He gave her another 100. 100, 99, 98. Wait, what was that? Something moved outside the window. I saw something. Something moving. He popped off the couch. Jason, excuse me, Dad leaned forward. Your mom? Maybe? He slid a side window open and shivery air shot through. There were things, lots of things flying through the air, swooping close then away, left and right, swift, smooth, agile. One swished at Jason and he jerked his head back. Jeez! Jason thudded the window closed. Bats! Bats? In January? Jason pulled a blanket out of the trunk behind the couch. It sputtered with static. Guess so. He wrapped it around himself and returned to the couch. A few minutes passed and Jason started counting down again. One hundred, ninety-nine, ninety-eight, ninety-seven. We'll pause there. Wow, what a great opening. I was right oh, there thanks. with you. Locked oh, good. <laughs> in. Wow. So let's talk about Wendy Terrian, the person. Where did you grow up and what was your early childhood like? I grew up in Salt Lake City, and uh, that that's a beautiful state, and Salt Lake's a beautiful city, and it sits right, right. in the valley between two mountain ranges, so it's really lovely. Um, it, it was a little challenge not being of that culture, uh, and so I kind of had the experience of being different and treated as being a different sort of person because I wasn't a Mormon child. Okay. So that's, it was really, really interesting, and I think that it gave me a lot of um, perspective on people and just how to be in the world, regardless of how other things are happening around you. So it was, it was good. As I reflect, you know, at the time it was certainly a little challenging for a kid, but yeah, it was a good thing. So, and I, you know, grew up loving the mountains, and then moving to Colorado was great. Though the mountains are actually much farther away than they are if you live in Salt Lake, because you're right there. But right. uh, it, it, it's, it's a big. I, you know, I love the outdoors and mountains. We did lots of camping and fishing and all that kind of good stuff. So, 
yeah, really, really love Colorado now. It's a great place to be home. What were some of the books and some of the authors that inspired you in your youth? The books I loved, I loved A Wrinkle in Time. Loved it. And it's funny because I just reread it, and there were things in there that I didn't remember, even though I felt like I knew it by heart. So that was really interesting. Love the Chronicles of Narnia. Those are some of my favorites. I remember being super engrossed in Little House on the Prairie and that whole series, which is interesting because the other ones all have fantasy elements, but that one certainly doesn't. And then also the you know the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a big one that I just love, and you know and then later Harry Potter still love those. So yeah, a lot of a lot of fantasy stuff that. Didn't even realize I liked, and science fiction, didn't even realize those were the things I was drawn to, though I also loved Agatha Christie, and you know, I, was, I right. kind of read everything, you know, kind of have a, and, and even the Rampart Guards has an element of mystery, an element of fantasy, there's a little bit of science in it, not so much science fiction, but kind of, it's on the edge of it, so it, all those elements are coming into play there, too. Wendy, I want to talk now about the brilliant group of writers who also published that you are a member of called Wicked Ink Books. What is Mm -hmm. its history, and how did you get to be an integral part of this great artistic community? You know, Wicked Ink Books is actually the publishing company that I formed along with those six other women that uh, do our our writing retreat together every year. That you did the retreat with, right, right. Yeah, so we we came out with uh, Wicked Ink Books as our publishing company. Our first book is the TikTok Seven Tales of Time, and then we're going to open up our next uh, anthology to submissions from other writers. We want to help other writers grow and increase exposure for everybody. We're firm believers in lifting everyone up and supporting everybody in their success, so that's really where uh, Wicked Ink Books is going and, and wants to be part of. It's really important to all of us. Were you the one who came up with the group's name, Wicked Ink? <laughs> no, you know, uh, no, I wasn't. Isn't that funny? I mean, it's not funny, but uh, I cannot remember. What's funny is I cannot remember exactly who came up with the name of that, but it's a fun name because Wicked can mean anything, right? Wicked yeah, and cool it's something you wicked, definitely wicked. remember. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I'm glad. You That's definitely good. remember so that. Important. Great. Yes, good. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. We like it, too. So you made the decision to become an independent publisher. Talk about that decision and that journey, and how is it wearing the business hat and the creative hat? So I spent a lot of time during the course of writing The Rampart Guards. I was also learning. So I was learning about traditional publishing. I was learning about self-publishing and now and even more so about indie publishing and how that's kind of diverged, those two terms, which I think is interesting. But I, I studied it and paid attention to how it works. And I do have business experience and I have an MBA, so I understand the business side of things too. So I was considering all of that through the entire process, not just me as a writer and wanting to get my work out there, but what would that mean from a business standpoint, whether I went traditionally or indie. And bottom line is with everything I studied, the success I've seen on the indie side, the success I've seen on the traditional side, it all comes back to the fact that if you write a good story and people love it, that's how it sells. So right. if I I got to that point where that's what I really believe in, that's what you can see, you can see that. And I said, okay, I the thing for me, the right thing for me is to go ahead and do the indie route and to also treat that process as my business. So I have my Camachea Press is my company that I'm publishing under, 
And I went through, I took my book, The Rampart Guards, through everything that a traditional publisher would have taken it through. I hired a cover designer that we talked about. I hired a developmental editor, a copy editor, interior designer. I went through all of that, plus I spent some additional money that I probably would have had to spend even if I had gone the traditional route on marketing and publicity because my goal there is to get the book out there into people's hands, and if they love it, they talk about it, and that's how it becomes successful. So it's really, you know it's a subjective thing. You can't. There's no formula that says this is how you make a book successful because these people like it. You have. It's a subjective thing, and people have to like it. But I think the first step is getting it into people's hands and making sure you're delivering a quality product. So I've got those two hats on all the time: creative stuff that's going on, and also uh, the the whole business side of it. And how I how do I do this as a real business and not just I'm writing a book and here it is. Wow, I know that surely keeps you busy and on your toes. Wendy, let's, you know, this piggybacks into my next question. Let's talk about the volatility and constantly shape-shifting conundrum of the publishing industry. Everybody has a book out and can wear Mm -hmm. a self-publishing hat, as you just mentioned. But is that necessarily, Wendy, a good thing, do you think? Uh, I, you know... I I think it is, and I'll tell you why. Because this world that we live in is so digitally deliverable. (laughs) So, and yeah, there's stuff out there that's not not good and not fun to read, and it hasn't gone through the vetting it needs to go through, or the work or the editing and all that stuff. But the fact of the matter, if again, if you go back to believing that the market decides if a book is good or not, the people decide that. That, that should sort itself out, but it still gives those people that opportunity to put that out there and and feel good about it. I mean, a lot of those folks feel really good about what they've put out there, whether it's truly pleasing the market or not. And there's, I think that's okay. I mean, I think that's also where we've we've kind of seen the, the divergence between self-publishing, the term, and indie publishing, because self is really, I wrote this book, I'm loading it up to Amazon or CreateSpace or Smashwords, and now it's out there, versus I wrote this book and I want to do this in a more professional manner, and I think that's kind of the indie publishing route. There's no hard and fast rule that says that's exactly how to define it, but that's kind of my my take on those two terms and what's happening out there in the market. Got it. Um, There's one more thing I'd like to discuss, and that's your intense advocacy for adopting pets from shelters and rescues. Talk a little bit about this passion of yours. Yeah, I would love to. So there's so many great pets out there, and and we have three dogs. All of them are rescues, but there's so many out there in shelters. And I, I they've had a kind of a bad reputation that shelter dogs. There's something wrong with them, and that's just not true. A lot of times, people get into hard times where they can't take care of their pet, who is great and trained and happy and well behaved, or they get to. Uh, they don't realize how hard it is to take care of a pet, so maybe they adopt a dog and then they have to give them up. And there's a lot of sad stories out there, too, of people just not doing the right things with their animals, and so they end up in shelters. But there's so many good dogs and, and cats and other animals out there that can use homes. And even if you want a specific breed of a dog, those dogs are out there at shelters and with rescue groups, and they're so easy to to find, especially with the Internet, again, with that whole digital world world we live in. But there's... So many, and you know, I'm a big advocate of the whole Bob Barker phrase of spay and neuter your pets too, because there's so many that are being euthanized every single day, and it's just so sad because right. they're great, great, great animals and the sweetest things in the world. And you know, there's nothing like bringing home a package of unconditional love uh, if you can do it. So if anyone's out there looking for a pet, I hope please 
at least consider a uh, shelter or a rescue animal out there because there's sure some great ones. Words to live by. So what's next for Wendy Terry? And I know you have the next two parts in, in the series, but are there any other irons that you have in the fire coming up? Yeah, we have for the next anthology, we have a couple of great ideas for a theme that we want to follow. We're also going to our next, this year's uh, version of our writer's retreat is again in Breckenridge. We'll be doing that at the end of April. So the the uh, authors with Wicked Ink Books, that's what we're going to be doing there. So those will be keeping me busy. Um, and I'm also, I just yesterday, and then I've got some things scheduled next week, I'm visiting middle schools to talk about writing and how they can make their stories stronger, and that's really fun. Um, so I'm doing some appearances there. I've got a couple of book signings coming up, um, one at Tatter Cover, Aspen Grove here on March 2nd at 6 p.m., and then actually to uh, the place where we take our dogs and we buy our food. It's called Paw Prints here in um, Highlands Ranch, and they asked me to come in and sign books because there's a, a, a dog character in the Rampart Guards who plays a very heroic and fun role who I love. Her name's Finn. She's in there. So there's a dog <laughs> element, too. So I'm going to come and uh, sign some books for them one day as well. So there's some really fun things going on. Wow, that that is so cool. Now, give out any contact information, Wendy, um, your website, and how can people follow you on Twitter and, and the like? Yeah, so my website is wendyterian.com, and I'm also on Facebook dot com forward slash Wendy Tarian and then on Twitter I'm at WB as in boy WB Tarian so you can find me at all those places oh and Instagram as well which is just Wendy Tarian so yeah all those places it'd be great to have people hook up and connect on those different platforms this has been the Funky Writer Show with me Robert Batista I'm at at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name on Smashwords.com. My guest has been the author and so much more, Wendy Terrian. Her debut fantasy novel, The Rampart Guards, drops on February 26th and is now available for pre-order. Thank you so much, Wendy, for being a guest on the Funky Writer Show. Thank you. It was great. It was fantastic. Have a great day. You too. Bye now.